The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It should not be used in the place of advice from a mental health medical professional for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. The opinions shared in this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect those of our employers. Thank you for listening. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of HCAT, or Here Comes a Thought, the podcast where we talk about Steven Universe and psychological themes and other stuff as well. With me, I am Jan Ramos, and with me is a no-homeboy on the run, Mark Quiris. I love that little pause you put in there for added effect. Yep. And... Shit, I forgot my puns. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, haunted lighthouse expert, Kat LaForgia. Hi. And Ooh. for today, we have a very, very special guest, our very own flawless amethyst, Lauren. Yay. Yay. I, thought we were, I thought we were calling her our chaotic co-host. <laughs> Our chaotic, flawless amethyst co-host. Woo! Um, so, um, Lauren, for those unfortunate enough not to know you, how would you introduce yourself? Uh, I am Lauren Keller. I'm a PhD student studying media psychology right now. Uh, and if you are a frequent listener of Here Comes a Thought, I am also on two other Geek Therapy Network podcasts. I am a co-host on Geek Therapy Radio, and I'm a co-host on Headshots. Uh, I'm a big old nerd, and I'm so, so friggin' excited to be here. Well, would you look at that. A a media psychologist analyzing media. Mm. Woo! That's strange. We can't have that, no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so why why is lauren here um because i thought we needed a different perspective of this and i just um i just wanted lauren to be on this episode <laughs> <laughs> okay let's be real we just want lauren on the the show in general yeah, but we, we can't have Lauren on the show all the time, so we decided. We knew Lauren actually loves Steven Universe, and Amethyst is one of uh, their favorite um, characters. Mm-hmm. So we asked, and Lauren was very gracious to say they would be willing to participate in our show. So. Uh, <laughs> Yes, willing, not like, finally. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They were just like, you know, I guess. (laughs) Oh, maybe. Uh, You know what? Let me see if I can fit it into my schedule. Yes, I can squeeze you in. Yes. Yeah. Um, Not like starring it on her calendar, like, yes, yes, yes. 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 But, you know, we just found the perfect excuse because... It just so happens that today we're going to discuss a amethyst-centric episode and a horror-centric episode, which we also know that Lauren is a big fan of horror. Yep. 
So we are honored to have you here today. And <laughs> yeah, do we go on with the show? Let's do I it. I feel very, I feel very weird. No, about this, this is the episode. Like... This is it. This is done. We're done, guys. Cut. cut I feel, <laughs> I feel as, I feel as if Lauren is just a West Coast younger version of me, and this is not fair. Wait, am I being replaced? Wait, am I being replaced? <laughs> no, because you do the editing, Cat. All right. Oh, okay. Damn it, Cat wasn't supposed to realize this until further into the series. This wasn't supposed to happen until season three. Come on, yeah. guys. Right. No, I'm I'm not replacing any of you unless I can replace all of you, and that's going to require some cloning. So, so there you have it. Get working on this the science. Chip all right, guys. As of now, Lauren is officially taking over HCAT. We this yeah. is going to be our last episode. So sorry, guys. Folks. It's going to be Steven and the Stevens, but somehow even more horrifying. It's going to be Lauren and the Laurens. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> So, oh my god, we spoilered. Ooh. Wait, what? what no, Stephen and the Stevens was so past. We already talked about Yeah, we talked about Stephen and the Stevens a long time ago, girl. I've had a very long day of <laughs> family crisis today, okay? Personal family crisis. Oof, those are the worst. Yeah, so you have to you have to forgive me today. All right. Well, <laughs> how about let's just go now right into our amethyst-centric episode with On the Run. Yay. Who's starting? Uh, does anybody want to do the synopsis? No synopsis, boy. That's what your job you is. Do it. Oh, me? Oh, wow. Okay, fine. I guess. <laughs> He's honored. <laughs> he would be honored to do the synopsis. <clears throat> so, um, on the run, it starts off with Steven reading a book called The No Homeboys on the Run. Um, and he's like, you know, questioning about it. And then the gems return from um, the. What do, you, do they call it the galaxy warp? I think they call it the galaxy warp. And they have all like those weird uh, bubble popping machines, robots that um, the mysterious gem left behind um, the last and one of the last times they were there. And Pearl is explaining why they need to get rid of them and destroy them. So that way, um, you know, homeworld gems won't come back and uh, Amethyst uh, is getting clearly upset um, while Pearl is explaining this, but you know, no one seems to take notice or wonder why. And then Steven makes a, a a reference to them being the no homeboys because they don't have a home because you know the gems had turned their back on homeworld for Earth. And Pearl kind of discredits this immediately by saying, "We're not the no homeboys. We're standing in your home right now." And then they all leave except for Amethyst, who's kind of like sulking and looking at the floor and steven you know wants to play the no homeboys like play pretend and everything and so amethyst says yeah let's do it so then they go on the run they leave they get their you know their little set their little burlap what do they call it bindles bindles they got their little bindles and then they head out of beach city they jump on a train and steven tries to befriend a raccoon that goes really well. <laughs> <laughs> and then Steven also tries to sleep on some hay, which he thinks is nice and soft and comfy and cozy. And in reality, it's an itchy, scratchy mess. Yeah, dude, has anybody actually ever tried to sleep on hay? It's not pleasant. I've is... sat on hay before and I do not like it. Yeah, I don't know why anybody thinks hay rides is a comfy thing or, you know. I don't know how those assassins uh, jump into it. 
<laughs> Yikes. Well, it's not in like big squares bundled together. Maybe if it, it maybe if it's just a pile, it's not going to stab you in the eye or up the nose. Yeah, even but- if you fall for like 50 feet distance. You never that's, know. I think that's higher than 50 feet you're falling when it's Assassin's Creed. Okay, that's a different topic All right, altogether. Back to the episode. <laughs> so, after their lovely little show tune between uh, Stephen and Amethyst, you know, Stephen, after losing his food and Amethyst eating all of hers, uh, you know, Stephen wants to go home, but Amethyst isn't done because she doesn't feel like she belongs at the house and the temple. And so Amethyst decides to show Stephen where she came from. And this leads them to the kindergarten. And as Amethyst is kind of explaining things, I mean, she doesn't really fully know what's going on, but all she knows is that she came out of this hole and that all the other holes that are surrounding all like that are surrounding her hole were at some point, other gems that came out of the ground. And it was after, and then after this, uh, Pearl shows up and is kind of upset with Amethyst because she feels like Steven isn't ready to learn about, you know, the kindergarten and what happened in the kindergarten. And Amethyst takes great offense to this because she thinks that Pearl is, you know, talking smack about her and thinking that she's not good enough. Um, this leads to Pearl and Amethyst kind of getting into a little scuffle. Um, but ultimately, um, after a nice little heart to heart between Pearl and Amethyst, um, you know, Amethyst is kind of, uh, he kind of gives Pearl a nice big old hug because they learn to, they, they have a better understanding of one another. And then they go home. So Steven can sleep in a real bed. <laughs> Not on hay. Awesome. All right. So that's the end of On the Run. I went a little more in depth with this one than the past few ones, but it's okay. That's okay, because it's Amethyst. Exactly. And it's a very deep episode. You're deep. Thanks. I know, look at these notes. You're pretty, you're pretty insightful. Yeah. Was, was this him or was this Lauren? Um, so, yeah. I wrote oh. my notes, <laughs> and then I invited Lauren to add her notes in, and now we've just become one. This is fusion. Yeah. These, these notes are kind of scary. Yeah, I opened up these notes and I was like, well, what is this? And why am I so scared of these? <laughs> I, I feel like you guys should do my homework. Yep. You guys should just do my whole semester. I have my own homework. <laughs> I miss studying, not for my school. Shh, Lauren, it's okay. It's okay. You could add mine. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode starts out with um, Pearl just talking about, you know, all the bad stuff. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm a bit sick. So if if I start sniffing or coughing, cat will edit that out. Anyway, uh, I oh, I thought it, I thought you were you were just getting emotional and we're starting to cry about it. <laughs> yes. Okay, just let's go with that. With one. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So Pearl was talking about <laughs> all the bad stuff that like, um, Jim, um, homeworld did on earth right and she keeps talking about the the involvement that the gems had on earth as something negative something that it, it can't be repeated and we start seeing that amethyst has this she, there's something about her body language 
that really makes you uncomfortable, that it, it sort of signals to you that she's uncomfortable with the way that Pearl is talking, but she doesn't feel comfortable enough to um, speak about it, what, what it could be, right? Oh, did, are you asking us? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, per, Amethyst is Amethyst and Pearl's relationship up until this point has always been sort of that, um, for for lack of better cliches, oil and water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they are always um, at each other's throats. They're just kind of always bickering, um, and the only time they work together is to protect Stephen. Um, so usually, so usually they, they can't relate to one another. Uh, and, and Pearl is kind of unable to sense when other people are uncomfortable or are angry until it's reached a point where she realizes she's kind of stuck her foot in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. I think I think in this particular scene it's not necessarily so much that Pearl isn't thinking uh like ignoring how Amethyst might react to it so much as she's like really focused on trying to frame it in just the right way to Steven without revealing too much because at this point they're still not, you know, totally on the up and up about all of the homeworld background and history and steven is only just starting to pick up tiny little pieces of it and so i think pearl was absolutely focused on how steven would hear these words than how amethyst would hear them yeah and that kind of shows like you know at the end when they're having like their little heart to heart that you know pearl's kind of saying like you know i never really thought of this as you and i figured you you knew that like i i you know at the end i always thought that you were the one good thing to come out of this whole mess and you know i don't think any of this is your fault and i thought you knew that like she kind of figured that after all these years amethyst would know that they never blamed amethyst for the kindergarten they they don't blame her for coming out of it you know it's it is what it is but she's there with them and that's what matters whether it's with Steven, like, he doesn't know anything. And, you know, in a way to kind of protect him, to not overload him, to maybe not think of them differently, because um, now he'll know that, you know, this is what the gems came here for, to kind of, you know, create new gems out of the earth. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think it's a way that she's kind of undermining Steven, because you know, she's being overly protective. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really sort of more reflection on Pearl and Pearl's feelings about the past and without going into spoilers or anything, but her, her own participation in that because Pearl came from Homeworld originally but Amethyst and Steven are both from Earth. They've never been to Homeworld. Um, and I assume, St- I mean, Steven didn't find out about Homeworld until very recently. And I, I don't know when they told Amethyst about it, but um, 
it appears that she lived in that canyon for a while before she got found. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like even she didn't know where she was like from, quote unquote. Um, and so I think Pearl is really looking at it more from her own perspective. She she can't really distance herself from her own conscience in being involved in colonizing the planet and being involved in a war that came from that and her her participating in a rebel army and <laughs> all of those steps is like she can't she can't really step outside of her own relationship to the those things happening and so it's really hard for her to see the perspective from you know, see Amethyst's perspective because she, she's too, you know, too much guilt, survivor's guilt, uh, <laughs> just trauma <laughs> from yeah. being in a war <laughs> when it really appears like Amethyst basically didn't show up until the war was pretty much done. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, a big part of it is literally Pearl is like, oh man, I'm super traumatized by this thing that happened. So I have to like give the like nicest, most sanitized version to Steven because I have to protect him. That's like basically my life's purpose at this point. Yeah. And then not at all thinking about how like, oh, phrasing it that way is kind of a dick move to my very good friend and family member Amethyst, well, who is clearly hurt. Oops. <laughs> well, the the sad thing is when I see stuff like that, it, sorry, when I see things like this, it's usually when a parent comes from an abusive relationship from... Um, domestic violence relationship and they've had a child from that previous relationship and they go on into another relationship um, and now that child is now um, they they get deemed as that golden child mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and when the when the child is talking about oh you know we talk about the family they're talking about the family dynamics the family unit you know they'll talk about oh you know is is so and so's daddy my daddy and or they'll talk about you know wh- why is she why don't they look like me and you know she'll say oh it's a different daddy and they'll talk about it and sometimes it becomes something like that oh you know it was such a bad situation and they don't think about how the how talking about that relationship may be doing damage to that child um you know yes the child may have gone through the same abuse the parent has that's a whole another level of trauma that the child is reliving um but if you're putting on them as you're the new you're the new babe you're you're the new baby you're the new golden child you're the new you know you're you're the best thing that's happened and we don't have to worry everything's going to be safe here everything's going to be great here and we don't have to worry about any of the bad things everything's going to be good sunshine rainbows lollipops here this new child is also the uh the older child is also going to have to deal with you know, being displaced and trying to figure out what their placement is there. And a lot of times parents seem to forget, you know, to rearrange the family that way. Yeah. 
And this is where Amethyst is sort of, you know, this is the same placement Amethyst is, you know, Garnet and Pearl was, have decided, you know what, Earth is our new home because everything happened on Homeworld and Homeworld is evil and everything that happened because of this, the kindergarten is an evil place. Mm-hmm. And they're explaining the kindergarten is an evil place, evil place, evil place. But they're not explaining to 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 Stephen that even though the kindergarten was an evil place, this is we've got something good from it. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of parents don't say, "Yeah, all this bad things happened in this bad from this bad relationship," but I got something good from it. I still have, you know, your big sister or your big brother, you know, who loves and protects you, who you know. You guys fight all the time, but whatever. You know, you guys love to play together. You do this together. You know, when little Billy down the street was picking on you, they went up to you, went up to them and pushed them down on the ground for you. You know, when they stole <laughs> your bike, they went over and, you know, made sure they got your bike back. These are the things that they forget to, to you know, talk about. Right. You know, an amethyst is that, is that, you know, older sibling that is kind of being displaced again in this situation. Um, I, I sort of want to add to that and I'm going to start with a tangent, but I promise it'll get back to this point. Tangents are great. Okay. So as somebody who's really in love with, um, the career that I've chosen for myself in mental health, um, I really love sort of learning about different ways in which we talk about, you know, difficult things about mental illness or um, about difficult situations in our lives. And I, what I want to do right now is sort of um, shift the perspective to understand where Pearl might be coming from. And we can't say, right, when Gem World, when Homeworld came to Earth and they did the kindergarten that was a catastrophic event. That's a catastrophic environmental event, right? They took entire patches of the earth and they destroyed it. And it, when we see the, the the kindergarten, it's not supposed to sort of evoke any feeling of like homeliness or or nature or or it it, it seems desertic. It seems um it, it it seems like the aftermath of something catastrophic, right? So yeah. we can't completely blame Pearl for wanting to express that concept, right? And I think the real problem here is the the fact that Pearl can't um she can't hold two conflicting ideas at the same time, right? So the kindergarten is completely bad, right? Yes. And one of the things I loved about learning about mental illness and, and the way we treat it is um, DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy, which sounds very complicated, right? But essentially, it's the concept that it's usually used with people with borderline personality disorders. And that disorder is characterized. One of the main characteristics is this defense mechanism that's called splitting, which is the that people with this personality disorder may find it difficult to sort of um, 
see the good and the bad in something at the same time. So you could have a friend, and at one moment, that friend will be like the best friend ever, somebody you can really trust, someone you love. And then they might do something, and your perspective on that friend might change completely. And suddenly they betrayed you, they're horrible people, and stuff like that. And part of the main goals of dialectical behavioral therapy is helping the patient sort of hold those two ideas that they are a good person because this and that, but they've also done things that harmed you. And that doesn't mean that they stopped being a good person per se, but maybe it does mean that you your interests are not in the same place, right? Or your perspectives are not in the same place. And so I think Pearl in this moment, she she doesn't see the kindergarten as something, you know, good in any way. She does see amethyst as something good. She loves amethyst, but she completely divides. She she draws a, a very clear line between kindergarten and amethyst. And amethyst can't draw that line because she came from the kindergarten. So from her perspective, the kindergarten is part of her. And I think this is really like where where that clash comes in. Because Pearl can't, the way she expresses herself, it's like, you know, she just wants to express just how bad it is to come from outer space and just destroy the earth just to make clones, right? And that is bad. That is a bad thing. But it doesn't mean that the product, the clones, are in essence bad, right? And that's that's a sort of hard concept to to wrap your head around. And I think it's a good parallel. And I think, Lauren, you were the one who who wrote this in the notes. Um, when it comes to children of um, rape or incestuous rape, in which, you know, v- rape is a bad thing. It's a bad event. And people who have gone through it should be able to talk about it, right? We should be able to sort of even teach our children, you know, this is a bad thing. But sometimes there are products of those sort of bad things that happen that you grow a fondness for and who that are actually, you know, human beings in their own right. And that doesn't mean that just because you came out of a bad event, it does not mean that you are a bad thing or that your existence is less worthy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... I think Pearl and Amethyst are sort of showing both both sides of that, where Pearl has completely separated Amethyst out. Amethyst is no longer associated with uh, the kindergarten. She's not associated with Homeworld. She's not associated with the Homeworld gems. She is an Earth gem. She is Amethyst. She's part of our family. We love Amethyst. She's great. Um, and she can't let amethyst who she she loves and cares deeply about uh brush up against basically what they uh okay wait hold on i, I don't want to be spoily um <laughs> it's hard it's isn't difficult it? Yeah. Isn't it? it is yeah, it is yeah. i am very impressed with you guys all the time um this is our struggle <laughs> welcome yes so what what we know from this episode, Pearl Pearl says to Stephen, 
um, your mom, Rose Quartz, and the Crystal Gems realized that the, the colony, the kindergarten, was destroying Earth, and that was bad, and so we rebelled against that. And so Pearl, who came from Homeworld, who is even now still very much attached to the idea of like hierarchy and <laughs> leadership roles and stuff like that. Um, I, my, my feeling is, is she's basically built a lot of her identity around justifying the choice that she made to become a rebel with Rose. And it's become basically foundational to who Pearl is and so in that situation, in order to maintain her identity as someone who, who made this choice for love and, and righteousness and justice and all of that stuff, then the kindergarten and the colony needs to be bad. It, it needs to be wholly evil because that's the only way that it becomes okay for Pearl to have basically completely abandoned her entire life and to literally turned against the people she was created to serve. Um, it's a lot of questionable stuff in there, but talking from her perspective. And then from Amethyst's perspective is she can't disassociate herself from the kindergarten at all because, one, she's made there, and two, we don't know how much time she spent there, but it could have been a, a sizable amount of time that she lived alone in the kindergarten with no other amethyst, no other gems. There's not really any other life in the canyon. So like maybe she saw a bird flying overhead once in a while, but like it's sort of horrifying to to think about like, okay, well, if you a human person spent like the first five years of your life being raised it by wolves in the forest and then someone's like ah oh, wolves those dirty beasts you'd be all like but actually they're kind of cool because they kept me alive <laughs> and, and so it's like um amethyst can't separate kindergarten from self and pearl can't allow amethyst and the kindergarten to touch because that's too painful for her that's sort of how I read it anyways. Yeah, and I think it's a very good read, especially personally. And, and this is something I have a gripe with, the way Pearl sort of phrases this. When she says, when she tells Amethyst, you know, when I think of the kindergarten, I never really think of you, right? And I, none of this is really you. It sort of brings me back to my own experiences as somebody who's Latino. I'm Puerto Rican. And so... I've I've gotten throughout my life uh, these moments with people in, in the like um, mainland United States, where I tell them that I'm Latino, and they tell me, you know, you don't sound Latino, um, or like they have these prejudices against uh, Latino people, saying like maybe they're ratchet, or maybe they're like, um, um, I don't know prejudices and uh, they tell me like you know when i think of like um those countries i don't think of you because you seem like a reasonable person and uh, to me that's like it's insulting right that that's part of my identity but at the same time um when we look at uh, at pearl and she says to to amethyst you know i never really think of you as part of this 
um, she's making a clear distinction, like, Amethyst is good, everything else is bad. But there is, like, a lot of holes in there. There's a lot of lives in there. And we don't get to see their story, right? So Pearl does get to make that generalization, and we have to take it at face value, right? And so that's sort of sometimes how I feel, right? There's there's a, a thousand faceless people to whom we, we sort of ascribe these prejudices. And so... When when Pearl tells that to Amethyst, I I just I can't help but feel a bit of um, you know, like snarkiness, right? Like, um, it seems a bit like what's the word for it? Um, I'm just gonna go with prejudice, but yeah, it's it's that concept um that she doesn't know about all the other lives that came from this and. She, it's not in her power to tell whether their lives are worthy or not, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are my two cents on that on that specific specific part. Man, you just you just shut down the whole show here. Um, but I, I mean, I do kind of relate um, with you when it comes to the whole, um, you know, um, people kind of when they look at me, um, a lot of the times they just kind of flat out deny kind of my heritage or what I say is my heritage and where I come from. I mean, yes, of course, you know, I, I wasn't born in, in Puerto Rico or I wasn't born in Mexico, um, you know, since I'm, you know, Hispanic. But whenever people look at me and and I explain that I am Hispanic, most people just kind of flat out deny it. And they say, there's no way you could be part of that, you know, or, or, you know, they just say, I don't believe you. And to me that like, you know, that's something I grew up with. You know, I I grew up, you know, very immersed into this culture. And for people to just kind of tell me, no, sorry, that's not you. I don't see that in you at all is also, you know, I take some, some offense to it and I don't like kind of how people act like that. And so when you kind of describe how Pearl is more or less doing the same thing to Amethyst, but trying to make it seem like, um, you know, like there's that clear distinction. It's exactly like you said, like you see, thousands and thousands of of these empty holes in rocks as they're you know warping back to the the temple and we have no idea who came out of these these holes and, and what became of them and you know pearl is making this generalization that you know amethyst was the one singular gem that was the good thing that came out of this entire um kindergarten so, and therefore now saying like, oh, you know, you're better than the rest of these other gens, which for all we know could be other amethysts or it could be, you know, any, some, some, some other sort of gem, but saying, oh, no, you're not like them. You're, you're different. You're better. But still that that's, that's like we said, you know, amethyst lived in this place for who knows how long she had her. Her climbing rock, she had her sitting <laughs> rock, she had the rock that she kicked into two rocks. Like, she clearly <laughs> spent a lot of time here. And she identifies the kindergarten as her actual home up until, you know, uh, 
rose quartz and, and garnet and, and pearl eventually found amethyst and decided to take her take her in so i mean i i don't i i feel like while pearl had some great intentions and in, in trying to reach out and connect with amethyst her wording could have been a little bit better So up until now, we've talked a lot about Pearl and the way she sort of visualizes the kindergarten. But I really want to focus more on Amethyst, especially considering this is an Amethyst episode. Um, I just realized we are 36 minutes in, and I just want to tell all the listeners, if you listened to our last episode and said, oh, good, they're going to do shorter episodes now. Lies. You were wrong. <laughs> do, do you... Okay, do you honestly believe we're going to have Lauren in an episode and then just make a short episode? No, sorry. No, that's not going to happen. So, okay. So not going to happen. Um, Anyways. Amethyst, I mean, I love Amethyst in this episode. She has a lot of emotions. Um, in in So, Amethyst is chaotic in almost all the episodes. She is all over the place. And I think this is the one episode where she is very, uh, I want to say driven. Mm -hmm. She's angry. Um, and because she's angry, she, <laughs> and, and most of the time when people are driven, they know where they're going. They know what they want to do. She doesn't know what she wants to do other than she just needs to leave, uh, the, the temple. Um, and she needs to get away from Pearl at that moment. And in, in getting out of the house, doing what Steven wants to do, um, and being these, these no homeboys, she realizes she wants to go see the last place that she called home and show Steven her, who she was or who she still feels she is. Um, and in all honesty, it's her connection to Earth, also. Mm -hmm. And there's there's also something very important, which is, what do we designate as home? Is it where your heart is? Is it where your family is? Is it where you were born? Right. Mm -hmm. And for Amethyst, I think her heart is not anywhere at the moment. Right. And she even sings this out in on the run on the in, during the song. She says, "You know, home's a place uh, uh, that I have never known." And I think she's just trying to piece together, you know, what can I call home? Well, th I've been in this place for so long, and this is where I was born, so this could be home, right? And that's when she sort of decides to present Stephen with the kindergarten. So, yeah. I think it's also a direct response to, <clears throat> sorry, uh, a direct a direct response to what Pearl had said where they're talking like it's it's home the metaphorical space but I think it's also literally home world where all of the gems supposedly came from and so she is as far as we know Amethyst is literally the only gem who was uh, born on earth and then never went back to home world at any point mm -hmm. um, we know other gems came from earth but uh, we only know the crystal gems are still there. Is is the the current understanding? Is it's just pearl and amethyst, 
and Garnet, and Amethyst is the only one who's never been homeworld. <laughs> so she doesn't have the same home that Pearl and Garnet do. And Pearl and Garnet, as part of their origin story of coming to Earth and becoming the Crystal Gems, was them making an a choice. They decided to reject Homeworld and rebel against the Homeworld gems and become <laughs> Earth immigrants. Uh, but Amethyst doesn't ever have an, an opportunity to make that kind of choice for herself. She was born slash abandoned in that in the kindergarten, and then whenever she got found by the Crystal Gems, she joined the Crystal Gems. But there's not really a choice in that either. It's just like I either continued to live alone or I live with these other people who can tell me at least somewhat who I am. And so I think part of the, the you know, the line of like home's a place that I have never known is, is really, really speaking to Amethyst having basically unlike all of the other gems, unlike most other earth creatures she was born alone she didn't emerge with the rest of the the amethyst or quartz in the kindergarten she emerged later than them and they had already left and so she's this creature from a planet that's like highly hierarchical has like really specific purposes for everybody and here she is alone and with no purpose and so this feeling of like now she's a part of the crystal gems and Steven is starting to come into his own powers and it's like she feels Steven's on her side because Steven is also born on earth and he didn't choose to be born like she didn't choose to be born and so she's like Steven gets me but he actually feels home on earth he feels home with his dad and he feels home at the temple with the gems. And she doesn't have that same connection. Be and, and I think a big part of that is because she didn't start with that. She started with not that and then sort of got it and maybe part of her feeding into, you know, feeling alone and feeling uh, different from other people. And um, I know Pearl phrases it as a, as a nice thing as like, you're not like the others. You're, you know, you, you were the one good thing to come out of there. But honestly, I don't think that's very comforting to Amethyst who feels like all of her differences are things that are bad about her. She's smaller than she's supposed to be. She's not as strong as she's supposed to be. Um, and she puts all of these expectations on herself and then here's people talking about like, yeah, well, you know, I, I did this for home or I chose to abandon my home for what was right. And she's just like, do I even have a home to make those kind of choices? Do like what? I don't feel that. How what does that mean even? And is this just another way that I'm broken? And like, that's really overwhelming to try and parse through, especially when, you know, the people you care about one of them is a kid who doesn't really get the whole context of the situation and just wants you to feel better. And the other person who has their own trauma mm. and maybe isn't very good at putting that aside to help you deal with yours. And so she's just sitting there like, ah! <laughs> well, what's another thing that's um, that Amethyst kind of sings about in On the Run is, you know, 
she she claims she's making the claim that she doesn't care what you know what everyone else says but she also realizes there there like you know there are things that will never go away and, and this is kind of a plays in with, with um i would want to say more with pearl and amethyst's relationship because you know amethyst you know probably upon being found um was told all of these things and about the kindergarten and what her purpose was for being you know made or you know whatever else throughout their entire time being together amethyst has probably learned a lot and has often tried to uh find her own identity and be something different than just you know a gem in a kindergarten just a typical amethyst um and but at the same time, whenever the kindergarten seems to be brought up or whenever um, this concept of homeworld seems to be brought up with, especially around Steven, um, it's like how Amethyst acted in the beginning when Pearl was explaining things and she got all kind of like huffy and puffy and went and was like sulking off to the side because she realizes that no matter what, she's always going to feel some sort of connection to the kindergarten and that's never going to go away for her. You know, that was something that was a big part of her, especially for a long time since she was all alone there. And so when they talk badly about it, it's kind of like how, um, someone might talk smack about, you know, a f- like your favorite sports team, or, or in this case, like maybe, uh, your your home country if you know you're proud to be from that country if you're proud to be like an american citizen or if you're proud to be um a a mexican citizen canadian citizen you know wherever wherever you might be and you're proud to be that and someone's sitting there and saying that your country is trash you know that's kind of like how amethyst feels whenever pearl talks about the kindergarten and i feel like amethyst can kind of understand that okay yeah the kindergarten ultimately was a bad thing but and she's working really hard to not care about that because that's not her but it's still something that kind of lingers in her mind and kind of is still stuck with her um no matter how long you know time goes by yeah another thing um what's the word for there's this thing that like it's I don't know if it's an algorithm or a pattern that the more you zoom in, the more the pattern repeats itself. Fractals. What? Yeah, fractal. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I love I, I think this episode has a sort of fractal nature in the way that um we keep going deeper and deeper into the concept of home. Um and what I mean by that is we start out the episode with Pearl talking about, um, you know, um, homeworld. And then she talks about, you know, this is your home here in the temple. And so Amethyst doesn't feel at home there in homeworld. And she doesn't feel at home in the temple. So she keeps sort of looking deeper and deeper inside of herself. So what's the next place I can consider home? Well, maybe where I was born. So she goes to the kindergarten. But even deeper than the kindergarten is her me-shaped hole, right? This is like literally the the part of the world where she came from. Um, I don't want to throw the parallel for biological creatures. But um, 
I thought I found that imagery very uh, interesting, right? And uh, I think Rebecca Sugar has sort of talked about how she took uh, inspiration from a horror graphic novel from Junji oh, Ito yeah. called the The Enigma of Amegara Fault. And uh, I don't want to spoil it, but spoil it does. It. <laughs> it's great, and you no. should definitely read it. it uh, it's yeah, it's a graphic <laughs> novel that you love it because of like the plot and the plot twists. So, but it does play with that idea of what, how would you feel if you found out that there's a place in this world where there is a hole in the wall, and that hole in the wall is exactly your shape, like it has all of your proportions down to like every single like pore, right? And that hole has been there since the beginning of time. I really don't like the fact that I just started with putting in the E-N-I-G. Didn't even s- finish the word and it just, Google was like, did you mean? And I'm like, wow, Google, you know me way too well. <laughs> Google is always listening. Google's yeah. like, I know what you need. I got you. I got you. I got you. And the, I think it's it's a very interesting concept because it's if Amethyst can't find a place that she can call home, there is at least a place in this world where she fits like a puzzle piece, right? And at least that can bring her comfort. Oh. And that's. That's where she goes after she has this big discussion with Pearl. They have that fight. And Steven doesn't extend his bubble all the way to Amethyst, which, you know, it's something that happened like in the in the rush of things. But you can feel like maybe even a sense of betrayal on Amethyst's part that she feels that nobody has her back in this particular moment. So she goes back to her hole. And I really love that concept because home is where you feel safe. Okay, and, I do. I do okay, hold on. I'm going to stop it right yeah. there for a second. Because uh, in regard, I mean, I agree with basically everything you said up, up, except for this whole Steven's bubble thing. I don't think it's a matter of Steven failing or like not putting the bubble around amethyst like because if you are watching the episode and kind of pay attention closely it's when steven like she's in the vicinity of the bubble but right when steven's about to activate his bubble she backs away so now she's out of range and and steven doesn't quite know how to extend his bubble or expand it to get her in the bubble And, and it's because of that that now she's not in it and then you know, now she might perceive it as such of, of Stephen not wanting to. I can I can kind of see that, mm. but I, I just want to point out the fact that yeah, it's not I, a it's not a matter of Stephen choosing not to. It's more of Amethyst just kind of backed out of the way. Yeah, yeah. I read that scene as Amethyst was rejecting the Stephen's, help. Stephen's yeah, hand I, and the, reaching out and and Pearl, and she was rejecting both of them. Yeah, I think what I. I, I don't know. The way I read that scene, and maybe I can go back and watch it, but the way I read it was, so Pearl and Amethyst were having this discussion, right? And Pearl was, you know, telling Amethyst that she was overreacting, and Amethyst was, you know, sort of being upset because Pearl doesn't get her point of view. And Stephen was being a centrist, right? He was just saying, like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's all just, like, get along and sort of, like, fix this just by getting along, Right. And so at that point, Amethyst doesn't feel like anybody has her back. 
the way I saw this scene was when the big sort of like pod falls on on the group, Steven does the bubble, maybe intending to sort of catch them both inside the bubble. But I don't think Amethyst backs off until Steven realizes that Amethyst is in the bubble. He tries to extend the bubble to Amethyst. And then she's already sort of made up her mind or like she she's already had her perspective biased. And then she runs away. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I definitely can see that that reading of it. I Tying back to uh, Junji Ito's Amigara Fault, um, a lot of the the theme in that that horror short is um, very much about your space of having your perfect space that it's it's made for you um, and I think that uh, framing these two pieces together um, uh, enigma of Amigara faults and uh, <laughs> no home boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and the, the escape into your hole, I think is sort of representative of living in, in a society and a culture that does not necessarily prioritize people's well-being. <laughs> and so the idea of having something that's, that's specifically perfect for you is really, you know, really beneficial to people who feel like there's not space for me in this world. It, it, it's actively, you know, crushing me or or it's too big and I'm left out in the cold and having something that's perfect for you is really enticing. But I think that in, in Junjito and in a lot of Rebecca Sugar's work is this idea of the comfort and home of of like perfect safety is uh basically limits your ability to grow. Yeah, that's where I was uh, that's what I was going to say. I was like Yeah. And so because and if you look at her hole, it's literally just that size. Yeah, she can't exactly. get bigger than that. And so it's I I read that whole scene with her rejecting Steven and going back into her hole is basically being like I'm too uncomfortable out here. It hurts too much to not fit in the way I feel I need to fit. And at least I fit in here. And so she goes back in there, but then she kind of, you know, Steven comes inside and Pearl comes inside and maybe she doesn't say the most supportive things, but at least she's making an effort. She literally gets into the hole um, and sort of putting that out there of like, you know, this might be your perfect space where you're 100% comfortable. Nothing rubs against you wrong. You you are perfectly held by your environment. But that doesn't leave space for us. That doesn't leave space for growing and becoming something new and wonderful. And so, um, again, we don't want to totally spoil Amigara Fault, but there there is a similar sort of theming of... Um, the the perfection is not actually great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Having something that's perfectly your size is maybe not fun. Actually, turns out. And yeah. and I will Surprise. put a link to Amagari Fault in the yeah. notes. Awesome. It's uh you know surprising that a horror short can can has a sort of negative 
uh, perspective on that concept. It's scary. Mm -hmm. It is scary. I mean, that's sort of the perfect subversion is the idea of something like is so perfect and perfect, therefore perfectly safe because, you know, nothing else can fit in there to hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just you. You're perfectly safe. And the idea of like, well, perfectly safe actually means like totally stifled and you'll never grow. And it really, really fucking sucks, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um. So there's a, also one last thing. Um, there's this uh, interview in, I think it was last year's Comic-Con. Um, it, it was a, a, a panel. And then they had that that moment where uh, the the audience can sort of speak to them uh, through microphone, and they they do the line and stuff. And so there was this one person who has a kid. I think it was with autism, and she thanks Rebecca Sugar for this particular episode because it was the first episode she watched with her son, and. Uh, after watching this episode, he said that he really identified with Amethyst, especially at the moment when she says, you know, like, I didn't ask to be born, um, which are like very like visceral parts of this episode. Um, and it's an episode that is often talked about by, by the community of people with disabilities, um, about just, what happens when you're born a certain way or that other people sort of um, see you as flawed and uh, how do you deal with that? And how do you feel about being born out of something that other people have negative sort of perspectives on? And so I just really wanted to bring that up and I would really like it if, if we could put that on the, that clip on the, on the show notes. If you can find it for me, sure. It's in the it's in the notes. It's in the notes. Yeah, I, I, think, I put the I YouTube think, link. I think that is one of the the most special things about this episode is that um, because it's it's fantasy and it's about space gems and everything, it makes it really easy to sort of project uh, whatever you need into that space, whether that's, you know, living with disabilities or as we touched on earlier, being, you know, a child of, of rape or incest um, and, and those kinds of things where you you can't control where you came from. You can't control the circumstances that led to your existence. Um, but <laughs> you also don't need to take on those circumstances as part of your own identity. <laughs> which I think is maybe needs to be the outcome there is like having those circumstances doesn't make you a broken person. It just makes you different. Mm -hmm. Whew, that was, that was amazing. Okay. Um, do you, does anybody have any other um, comments on the, on the run. Is this the first episode where Amethyst pulls out a, a second whip? I wasn't, I didn't actually go back and confirm that. It I is the it second, is. It, it is the only episode that she gets, to, she pulls out the second whip in the so, first season, I think. Yeah, I think, um, 
I, I wasn't sure if that was actually true, but I was I was pretty certain that that was the first time that she pulled out a second whip, which um, I read as a, a one of the gems upgrades when they either refuse with a new costume or they upgrade their weapons as sort of like a, an emotional maturity level up thing. And I think that Amethyst, even if it was like outburst style, Amethyst actually expressing her feelings to Pearl, who clearly was not picking up on them. Yeah. <laughs> and instead was, firing uh, little laser beams at her. Instead, yeah. Instead <laughs> doing some like, why are you upset? Pew, pew. It's like, whoa, Pearl, can we <laughs> take it down a notch? Come on. Why um, are you upset I, I, while I try to hurt you? <laughs> yeah, while I try and hurt you. <laughs> but they're just lasers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think that that was nothing. The, that sort of outburst was it was expressive and it was honest and genuine and that allowed amethyst to understand herself better to the point that it elevated her gem weapon power yeah especially when you consider that rebecca sugar has mentioned that um the location of the gem is very important depending um on where the gem is is sort of where that person is centered emotionally um, so Pearl has it on her head, shows these, she's always in her head. Yeah. And uh, for Amethyst to sort of bring those two whips from her heart at that specific moment, it is a powerful image. Yeah. So, um, on the run, <laughs> anything else? That was a good, that was good. Okay. Yeah. That was a good discussion. Okay. Um. I wanted to talk about actually Lauren was it Lauren that posted the note about the uh the fact that the pods look like the the viruses. That's John. You that can ask John. the medical student. John John that <laughs> I mean I did notice that, but no, you had already put that picture in there. <laughs> John, that was amazing, but I kinda we I think we can't actually talk about that until what I think it's season three. I mean, until I, we actually talk about the war. But yeah, I mean, the what we can say is that the way a virus works, it's it settles on the surface of a cell, and then it injects its material, and then it practically repurposes every single system of the cell for it to grow, right? Mm-hmm. And this is pretty much the same image we can get from Homeworld. I think it's very on purpose that the pods look this way, especially in the kindergarten. Um, what I would assume from seeing that is that those pods hold sort of like the g- g- genetic material for the gems to be created. The ge- gemetic yeah, material? The, the, the gemetic uh, material. That's what you did there. But I'm bumps. Yeah. Thank you, Lauren. This is why we have you here. Um, and so um, what they do is they inject the earth with it and it completely, you know, where there was once nature when there was once, you know, a whole biome, it can repurpose every single one of its functions just for the purpose of creating more gems, right? Yeah. And I think that's that's a very powerful image, especially if you can recognize the the virus or the bacteriophage, which would be like the, the technical term. Yeah, I definitely think that symbolism is intentional, but I also think like it's legit a pretty creepy yeah form and just creepy. just in yeah. general of being like well that's unsettling <laughs> that's got a lot of drills on it hmm mm-hmm. i'm uncomfortable 
it's it's hilarious that something like that actually exists and it's not a living being and it's just like you know just traveling around the world waiting for someone to infect yep all right let's go to horror club episode 41 oh boy you could say that viruses look horrifying you could (laughs) you want to know what else is horrifying this segue I was gonna say, I was gonna say the relationship between Ronaldo and Lars, but you know, I guess, I guess you can diss my segue, okay? Okay, I thought you would say, you know what else is horrifying, Ronaldo? I mean, correct, but <laughs> that's All what right. I would expect from you, Morik. You know what? I'm. I'm so excited, you guys. Uh, legit, I, I love Amethyst. I'm so glad that you wanted me to be on the. Uh, the No Homeboys episode, but I'm legit stoked to be the one person here who is like, actually, Lars and Ronaldo are great, and y'all are wrong. So I love, I love Lars. I love <laughs> Lars. Let's be, let's be, let's okay. Get, let's get the it, straight. I love Lars. It's Ronaldo. I've got some some beef with. Okay. No. Okay. Let's be clear. Cat is a Lars like hater. Lars. <laughs> Mark is a Ronaldo hater. I am not a hater. I'm a lover. Okay, I love Lars and I love Ronaldo. So I'm with you, Lauren. We're a team. You're going <laughs> to smash this, haters. I think Lars is a douchebag. Ronaldo, <laughs> Ronaldo, meh. Ronaldo's annoying. <laughs> Ronaldo grates on my nerves more than any character oh my has God. ever grated on my nerves. Mark versus Cat, the battle of the century. Buy your tickets. <laughs> All right, I so horror club, guys. Let, let's uh, yeah, Mark, let's, let's join this club. Let's join tell this club. Tell us about right? the yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. All right. us. Just club it up. I'm about to educate all of you. So let's go horror club, club here. Um, it starts off with, uh, you know, Lars and Sadie, they're closing up the the big donut for the night. And then Steven kind of unexpectedly shows up and invites Lars to this, you know, party. And Lars is kind of like, well, uh, what kind of party are we talking about? Who's throwing it? And then Steven says it's Ronaldo. And Lars is like, oh, no, who wants to hang out with that? Like, <laughs> what did he call him? Like social napalm or something? Yeah. Yep. Something along and, those well, lines. That's exactly the line. And then when Sadie comes out of the big donut after, you know, wrapping up closing, um, She's like, oh, hey, Steven, you ready to go to Ronaldo's? And then as they leave, Lars is like, well, I don't want to be left alone doing nothing, so I guess I'll join you guys. So then they arrive to the lighthouse where Ronaldo's hosting this horror club where it's basically them just, you know, watching horror movies. And, you know, Ronaldo's all dressed up in, like, this nice little costume, but when he greets them, Lars just kind of busts out laughing. Ronaldo is immediately embarrassed invites them in and then um you know Ronaldo busts out this this amazing movie called Evil Bear 2 Barely Alive and at first Lars is like laughing because he thinks that it was like a terror like I was like oh it was a it was a bad movie and there was a fake CG bear it was just all around a snooze fest and at this point this is when ronaldo's like excuse you sir this is actually the original and a true fan would accept nothing less so 
And then Sadie gets all excited about it because, and she asked, like, look at the box. And I was like, whoa, I don't know how you managed to get a copy of this. So then I plop it in. And at first, Sadie's like, but is it going to be okay for Steven? And then Steven says he can handle it. And he handles it by sitting behind the couch. <laughs> I've done that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> it's being handled. It's Wait. being handled. I'm fine. I just, I just, is Evil Bears in an Evil Dead reference? It's a yes. Care Bear reference. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. Okay, continue, Mark. So, um, I guess I, I want to say it's about halfway through the movie. I don't know. So at some point during the movie, the power goes out. And all of a sudden, all of this paranormal activity happens. And Ronaldo suspects it to be ghosts. And he said that he's always expected the lighthouse to be haunted. So they try to get out after this ghost is like making all these papers fly around. It's making things go after Lars. And at some like as they're trying to leave, all of a sudden these like scarecrows are coming after them. And more specifically, it's all tending to go towards Lars. And Ronaldo's kind of picking up on this. And Lars thinks that it's Steven and Ronaldo trying to like play a prank on him. And he goes to Sadie. He's like, oh, you know, hey, Sadie, you're not stupid. You can't believe any of this. Like, you know, come on, let's ditch them. But Sadie's not one to ditch people. So she kind of backs away and she's like, you know, no, I'm not going to ditch anybody. And at this point, Lars is frustrated because now he feels like he's being ditched by Sadie. And then Sadie gets swallowed up by the lighthouse. Um, So then they go down to the basement to kind of get Sadie. And at this point, now they're like, there's this mouth that forms from the lighthouse wall and Ronaldo feels that the only way to get Sadie back is to basically sacrifice Lars so he picks up Lars and with no remorse no mercy just willingly just throws him into this mouth to let Lars just be sacrificed just to get Sadie back because it seems like there's something kind of going on between Ronaldo and Sadie here. It's very, very subtle. Very, you could tell Ronaldo might think like, oh, you know, Sadie's really pretty. I want to impress her or something. But anyway, going forward from that, um, Steven goes and saves Lars. And at this point, um, after he kind of saves Lars from the mouth, they realize that all of this was actually the cause of a gem that was stuck in the wall of the lighthouse and when steven grabs it it displays like this uh memory from when ronaldo and lars were, were younger and they were actually friends and then you you witness the day when lars kind of carves his name into into the lighthouse and kind of gets attacked and ronaldo takes a picture and like wants to share it with the world because it's their first piece of evidence to paranormal activity but it's like an embarrassing photo of Lars and Lars is too wrapped up in what other people think of him that he tears up the photo and this is what causes a divide or really causes the end of the relationship between uh, Ronaldo and Lars but after this memory shows Stephen bubbles the gem sends it back to the temple and he and Sadie leave to kind of give Ronaldo and Lars some space to talk but Lars isn't wanting to leave um, without talking to Ronaldo. And then Ronaldo tells him to tone it down a notch. 
murdered by Ronaldo. And that's the episode. So take it away, my fellow horror experts, because I don't like horror. So Mm -hmm. first off, what I'm going to say is we all know that Lars was just going there because he was automatically jealous that Sadie was going to a party without him. Yep. This wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go because I have nothing else to do. It was the girl that I'm kind of, sort of, kind of interested. I'm interested in her if I don't have anything else to do is going to a party. So let me go and make sure nobody else stakes a claim. Although you could I'm sorry. No, no, no. Lars sucks. (laughs) No. Because I don't think he was like stake a claim. Because I don't think he ever suspected like Ronaldo would, like, um, well, previous to their actual interactions throughout the episode, I didn't think I wouldn't think like he would actually be jealous of Sadie and Ronaldo as a concept. But <laughs> I think it's more of the thing of hey, the girl I like is going, so I should go too, right? If it was just. Uh, Steven and Ronaldo is like, oh, whatever. But since Sadie's going, I should go because I want to be with her. Mm, that wasn't how he was acting. Because it's like when you're when you're with friends and it's like, oh, so do you want to go to this party? And you're like, yeah, not really. And then they're like, oh, but this person's coming. So you're like, oh, I'm going to Scott Pilgrim the hell out of this party. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Great verb. Um, yeah. I I definitely read it as uh, Lars is just really really insecure, and he really sees Sadie as his only friends, and so anything that threatens his his standing as her best friend he, i i think he feels insecure so he's like if i'm not around her all the time when she's having fun then she'll realize how terrible i am and then she won't be my friend anymore so i can't ever ever let that happen never let her be alone without me because then she'll never find out how awful i am mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she <sighs> should be alone without him she's he's so- awful <laughs> man so- why is this such a relatable character <laughs> <laughs> Except that, Mark, you're not awful. Says who? Uh, so I you're think, saying that... I think Lars is relatable because all of us have been awful at some point, and that's the the relatableness, is the realizing you've done something shitty and feeling shitty about yourself, and Lars is real good at that part, at least. <laughs> Plus, I mean, at some point, you know, who isn't insecure about themselves or, or insecure about how they're being perceived by others. I mean, especially growing up, um, I know, especially with me personally, like, you know, I, as a, like the same with everybody else, those middle school years, you know, it's all about, you know, the, your status and, you know, trying to be perceived as something, um, as, as, depending on whatever that is, whether it's being an athlete, whether it's being a popular kid, whether it's being, you know, whatever the case you know, that's kind of like the all important thing. And, you know, that's especially as your body's developing, like you just develop those natural insecurities about yourself. So this is why I feel like, especially for for kids that are going into those like teenage years, like, you know, 10, 11, 12, when their bodies start changing, I feel like Lars is really like the most relatable character out of everyone else in the show. I think what Kat is trying to say is that, 
when she thinks of insecurity and Lars, she never really thought about that as you, Mark. <laughs> no, I think what Kat is trying to say is that she was wrong <laughs> about Lars this entire time and that she's trying to apologize. No. Yeah. Uh, no, she's okay, curling this situation. See, because Lars and Sadie went to that island. They shared an intimate moment or several. They came <laughs> back. Um, Lars still treats her like kind of garbage. And now Sadie is going to have uh, a night with Steven, who he doesn't find intimidating at all. But knowing that Sadie's going to go to a party, because that's how 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 uh, Stephen puts it, it's a horror party at Ronaldo's lighthouse. So at this moment in time, he's not sure who else is going to be there other than Sadie and Stephen. So he doesn't. I mean, of course, Ronaldo. Yeah, we all kind of know it's probably just going to be Sadie and Stephen. But he still has to kind of go. All right. Well, who else is going to be there? Because I might have to fight off somebody else. But yeah, when he gets there, he does have to, he's, he's dealing with, wait, Sadie's has things in common with Ronaldo. The whole episode is him realizing that R Sadie has things in common with other people that are not him. And he's dealing with that weird green eyed monster that is pretty much just him on a daily basis. Yep. Mm -hmm. And instead of him just saying, hey, Sadie, I like you, you know, can't we just make this work? No, he decides to just be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but I think that it it by the end of the episode, it becomes really apparent uh, a, a lot of Lars's motivations is that he is kind of obsessed with status, like you like you said, Mark. And so I, I don't know if it's Lars was worried other people might be at the party and then he would be the one who didn't go to the party, or if it was just like, I have to go because there can't ever possibly be a situation in which Ronaldo looks better than me and therefore I have to be there so that I can maintain at least that status over him, which as we see from their, their friendship falling out is like, that was a big part of it is Lars was so insecure that he was like willing to be like, well, at least I'm not as big of a loser as Ronaldo. So at least I can feel a tiny little tiny bit better about myself. It's just at the expense of my friends. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of all of those interpretations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, what do you think, listeners? You can post something in the Geek Therapy forums. Can, can you hold that for the end of the episode, at least? No. <laughs> I've got to plug it whenever now. possible. I, I see if you put this. it in the middle, people won't skip it. They pay me. Yeah, they pay me for these uh, just like spontaneous advertisements. Oh, Wait, okay. you're getting paid? Yeah. Sorry, guys. I, I, I've you're not, Mark? I've talked about this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're getting paid in an extra long word limit on the forum. <laughs> wow. I thought I paid for that, though. Wait, I get tell paid me, you guys didn't dumb. pay for that? <laughs> I, I need to talk to Hosley about this. I'd have yeah. some choice words. <laughs> so, so, I mean, now, I like Rebecca's 
uh, Rebecca Sugar's uh, thing with the lighthouse, because the fact that Ronaldo, I mean, first off, it's Ronaldo, and he lives in a lighthouse. I don't think he lives there. Dude, he lives in the lighthouse. Okay. It's, it's yep. his the lighthouse is his treehouse. It's it's his treehouse, but we kind of suspect he lives in the treehouse. He lives in his treehouse. <laughs> he spends more time in the treehouse than his actual home. So it's his home. Yeah. Metaphorically speaking. So sure. <laughs> that's his bat cave. I think that, okay, yeah, that's, yeah, bat cave. that's the best way to put it. That's his bat cave. And like Batman, he spends more time in his bat cave than in Wayne Manor. <laughs> exactly. So, but it being the fact that this is a horror episode, all the great things that come with lighthouses. So, um, we've got all those wonderful TV tropes. So we've got uh, Silent Hill, Shattered Memories, Darkness Falls, Darkness Falls. I loved uh, yeah. Shuttered Island was another good one. Um, and Annihilation. Um, there's also so many other ones. So many good ones. So many really old ones, too, yeah. that use <laughs> um, lighthouses. And there was this... Oh, my God. I really wish I could have remembered this, too. There was this TV show that came out in the 90s. And it was a... It was sort of like... um. Um, one of those murder, think of like a murder mystery dinners, but it was, um, what is it? Like the real TVs, the, the real, uh, what are those things called? I really don't watch television that much. I'm having an issue with these <laughs> reality words. TV, reality, reality TV. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can see how much I watch these things. So it's a re- reality TV shows. It's the only one I watch because it was a horror theme. Um, and at, during uh different show uh different uh episodes, episodes people would, would die and you had to figure out who was the murder who was actually the murderer at the end um wait was, you mean by this is a reality tv show where they're killed yeah they not killed not actually killed they they ended up kind of like putting on the play uh like eliminating them or something? yes okay so they had clues and everything so it was like it was like clue it's like a game of werewolf like a game of yeah, yes, like a game of werewolf. Yeah, it took me a okay. minute to figure out what werewolf was. Yeah, so I was about to say Clue. It's like a game of Clue. Um, so if you knew, if you know werewolf, if you know Clue, it was like that, but in a grander scheme because they actually had the whole town. But the main, the main focal point when you came into the town was this giant lighthouse. <laughs> So every time you knew this, the show was going to start was literally because the lighthouse was the main focal point. So literally the, the show would start because the lighthouse would come into view and then the the big dong would start. And then like the people would start talking and you'd be like, oh, my God, it's starting. And yeah. Um, Why is it that lighthouses is such a like a horror striking... movies and lighthouses? I don't know. Symbolism. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Let us know. Well, I mean, I can give, uh, you know, believable reasons. I don't have... Read out your thesis. I don't have data proof I mean, if you support my hypothesis. I mean, uh, it looks really good when there's a storm and the waves are crashing on it and it lights up, like, Mm -hmm. it lights up the path for when both, like, the ships are coming in and it's supposed to protect the, the, the bay town, but sometimes people die anyway and... Yeah, I think that's those. There's a lot of layers in there. I think that's that's a big part of it. I think um, lighthouses 
tend to be on the shore, which is an in-between place where sea and land meet. And um, a lot of horror stories use those kind of in-between places as theming. Um, there's also, you know, light in the dark is a very, very typical horror theme. Um, and so literally lighthouses, like you only really see the light when it's nighttime. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just a weird shaped house. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's also, um, it's a, a pretty old building type Um that's been around for a long time so it's it's a uh, culturally representative even you know several hundred years ago it uh it's also it, isolated it's also isolated um there's always it, some it, lore about it they're they're very creepy um, <laughs> <laughs> they they tend to be um in a, in a lot of like smaller sh- uh, seaside towns it, you know the the lighthouse will be literally the largest building in the town that will be the focal point for the town um from both land and sea and so uh it's very symbolic of um symbols of you know uh being a point of safety in a place of danger so you know following that to find your way into safe harbor at night avoiding uh breaking your boat yeah (laughs) Yeah. that kind of stuff it's also introspective in that uh literally the shape of lighthouses oh sorry the dog is walking over me um the shape of lighthouses tend to have one like they have the light up at the top and then they have one big old spiral staircase down into where the house part of the lighthouse is. Oh, I thought you were going to so, say it was very phallic. Well, also phallic. Um, <laughs> the, a lot of a lot of phallus is horror, sure. Get your head out of the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> but um but like it's it's one of the things they touch on in um Annihilation, both the the movie and the yes. the book series, oh but God. the idea of sort of recursively going down and inward as introspection um, and and trying to uh, discover a space when, in this case, uh, you know, it's metaphorically self-discovery. I think in the case of Horror Club, it's uh, introspection into the relationship of Lars and Ronaldo and their falling out, how their relationship ended. Um, the lighthouse is very much <laughs> yeah. representative and symbolic of that. It's um, and this one focal point in their relationship that had a huge impact on the rest of their relationship. And the, I think there's also the concept that the lighthouse literally looks into outside towards the ocean, which is like uh, the void or the abyss, mm-hmm. literally the, the part where we can't walk. So there's that that sort of concept and imagery, and also the light the lighthouse is the home of the lighthouse keeper, which tends to be a sort of hermit figure uh, that is used often in sort of horror tropes as the kooky person that lives outside of society, and that may have been affected that way. And this is Ronaldo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in a way, he's sort of the person that lives outside of um, social norms. Which is part of what unsettles Ronaldo. Yeah, I hate this line as a skeptic of moral mortality. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. <laughs> I'm a skeptic of mortality. I'm sorry. Uh, we all die. <laughs> like, 
Well, I don't believe it because it's never happened to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, Sorry. <laughs> I'll believe you know, it when I see it. Yeah, I, oh I'll believe goodness. it when I feel it. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Okay, so yeah, lots of lighthouse. So. <laughs> lots lots of symbolism in this episode. Okay. The um, um the the fleshy throbbing Lars carving on the, the lighthouse wall. Oh, uh, and then and then a big old mouth opening up and <laughs> tossing tossing Lars into it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, very very symbolic of um, Ronaldo's uh, trauma from that that fight as kids is is literally Lars hurt him with his words, <laughs> and then those words swallowed up what was left of their relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoa! And then okay, I didn't see it. That. Ronaldo, oh. and then Ronaldo yeah. just adds more to it by like saying that when Steven tries to go after Lars, he's just like, "Nope, not worth it. Don't do it." Yeah, he's not worth it. He'll break your heart. So, the the poltergeist that attack, um, and and for now, I'm going to say the this the group throughout this whole episode. Is the the trauma that um, that Lars and Ronaldo have gone through together, um, and sadly, when we talk about trauma, um, and so I I had uh, I had written down um, Bessel van der Kolk. Um, so he's, he's one of the ones that I actually go through, go to the most. Um, so he wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, and it talks a lot about how when it comes to trauma and how people handle trauma, when we, uh, when a person handles trauma, it becomes a physical manifestation, an emotional manifestation, and a mental manifestation. So the poltergeists are almost that um, that physical manifestation for Lars and Ronaldo. Um, the emotional manifestation is Lars's... Um, is it Lars's? Is that how you do that? <laughs> that sounds yeah, so wrong. Um so you're pronouncing the apostrophe. Yeah. So it's Lars's um, emotional reactivity to seeing Ronaldo and Sadie having things in common. And him again feeling um, left out or feeling as if he needs to be accepted by everyone. And the lighthouse is remembering that moment. And so it's putting out those physical manifestations in the form of the poltergeist. So people don't have that opportunity of having physical physical manifestations in the form of poltergeist. So what we normally would have is panic attacks, anxiety. Um, This is where we get things sort of like conversion disorder. Um, And conversion disorder is horrible because... Sometimes we have clients who come up with strange things like all of a sudden they just go temporarily blind or no longer are temporarily paralyzed because the stress becomes so overwhelming. Um, 
And it's, it's literally just because the trauma that they are reliving at that moment is, um, is just, again, overwhelming. They, they can't handle it. Um, so this is, this is what they have, this is how they handle it. This is where their body reacts. And, um, so the emotion is, you know, the anxiety, the physical is the paralysis or the blindness and the mental is okay. So what's going on? You know, where are we? Um, so these are those, you know, we have to start taking things down slowly. What do we, how do we start? Uh, how do we stop certain things? They're the grounding techniques, you know, start with, you know, the five, the five senses. What are things that you can see? What are things you can touch? What are things you can feel? Um, when you can get them grounded, that starts to help. Um, and I don't want to get into full of the full things, but you know, Ronaldo and Lars, this takes a whole new level because now we've brought in a gem. <laughs> yep. And the gem is bringing up the these great, 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 like, poltergeists because it's been physically wounded. <laughs> and, and it's remembering Lars is a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Lars is I the think one you're projecting who here. What? Who let this jerk back in here? Who keeps who keeps letting this guy in? He's he stabbed me. Yeah. See, even the lighthouse doesn't like Lars. <laughs> okay, but the thing is, is that I don't think anyone really thinks that a lighthouse is fully alive. So you can't really blame him for that. It's not like he <gasps> knew. Are you taking away agency from that gem? Yeah, you know. No, I'm saying how you can't say that <laughs> Lars is a tale of a person because he did that if he if he had no idea and and no knowledge of that. I mean, I'm sure if he knew that the house was a was alive, I don't think he'd be carving his name in it with a screw with a flathead screwdriver. That's true. First of all, I don't even know how he managed to get that much of a carving in with a flathead screwdriver, but that that's just a He's a skilled works man. I, I think if Lars knew that it was a, that the house was alive, he'd be trying to. Um, I don't know if he'd be trying to mack it, but I think he'd be at least. <laughs> I, I don't think he'd be what? trying to mack a lighthouse. No, he'd just be like, okay, but hey, what if lighthouse, Sadie you was think lighthouse? Hey, lighthouse, you think I'm cooler than Ronaldo, right? He'd be, I just yeah, need to be he'd, cooler than one person. Why can't be they be least... cool together, though? JK, Ronaldo can't be cool. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. See? I was going to say, wait, are you trying See? to say that Ronaldo's This is why cool? we can't have good things. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, haters. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's really, I think that's really on, on the nose for their falling out is that both of them were too much in their own perspective that they couldn't really take the other person's perspective. Okay, but let's be... Okay, sorry. I interrupted you. No, go ahead. It was all about, you know, Lars didn't comprehend Ronaldo's perspective and vice versa. But in my honest opinion, the one who was wrong was Ronaldo. Because Ronaldo took a non-consented picture and uh, pretty much 
um, even though he could, you know, sense that uh, Lars wasn't comfortable with that picture, he was perfectly fine with publishing it so that everybody could see it, right? Yeah. And so while Lars did not take Ronaldo's feelings into account when he was tearing out the picture, I think he was within his right to sort of delete that picture because it was a non-consented picture. You see, Kat, it was Ronaldo's fault. Oh, I, I, I totally agree with that because of the fact that there are so many points where people take non-consenting pictures of other people, you know, in, you know, let's say sexual, you know, ways mm-hmm. and will use them against them. And even if it's not sexual, sometimes it's just like an unflattering picture and people will publish it on Facebook and you're like, I don't like that picture. And, uh, you know, sometimes people will make fun of you because somebody posted that picture of you. And it's like, you know, this this shouldn't have happened um, when I didn't consent to this picture being, you know, posted in public, right? It's just people should consent to having their pictures posted in public. You should have their consent. Yeah. Okay. Damn social media. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I don't think either Lars or Ronaldo handled the situation very well, but um, I think... I honestly think it's a really important episode because of that mm-hmm. and because Lars and Ronaldo are kind of little shits <laughs> and they do stuff that we as as audience viewers are like, wow, that's a real dick move, dude. Mm-hmm. But the episode gives you just enough insight to how they're feeling and what they're thinking and their perspectives on it that I think it's a really, really good, useful tool for explaining to uh, especially kids, but also anybody, adults, uh, <laughs> yeah. people who are super emotionally it. mature. Um, yeah. But the the idea that that you can have that kind of of argument with your friends, and instead of just focusing on your own feelings and your own perspective, is trying to take a beat and think about them and their feelings and their perspectives and not necessarily prioritizing them over you, but getting into a space of at least recognizing that it's not all about you and it's not all just your, your perspective and your experience that that's from (laughs) the call is coming from inside of the house. (laughs) And sometimes you need to uh, sort of reference outside of the house, outside of the lighthouse and see how it's going on out there. Um, but I think that this is really, really useful for kids to be sort of like, look, you know, when you're young, <laughs> you make mistakes. You'll say, you know, you'll you'll take a picture of your friend without their permission and you won't think it's a big deal because you wouldn't care. But they do care and it hurts their feelings that you're not listening to them telling you that they care. And... <laughs> And and also on the other side of that, Lars responding to to Ronaldo by lashing out in like a really pointed, mean way, a, a almost cruel way of being like, well, you know, you don't hear all of the terrible things that people say about you behind your back. And like, 
recognizing that that's that's an awful shitty thing to do to your friend, but that that was defensive. Lars was was hurt and so that was how he thought that he could protect himself was to to totally shut down and totally disconnect from Ronaldo and be like, "No, this is you hurt me and I'm done." And and teaching kids being like, you know, sometimes this happens. And and when we have this example, we can be like, well, you know, what does Lars think that Ronaldo was saying? And what does Ronaldo think that Lars was saying? Because they were both saying things to each other, but they weren't hearing what the other person was really saying. They were only looking at it from their own perspective. And so I think it's a really useful tool not to be like, these are appropriate responses to this kind of situation, but these are real responses that people do. Not that poltergeists are real, but people will say shitty things because they got their feelings hurt. And instead of saying, hey, that hurt my feelings, can we talk about it? They're all like, well, fuck you. I'm going to hurt your feelings right back. Get ready. It's coming. And it's going to be four times as hard because uh, I'm not holding back now. You hurt my feelings first. And and how like useful as a teaching tool that can be, um, especially because – at the end of the episode, it isn't uh, a total happy ending. Everybody's pleased and, and best friends again. It, it really is sort of like, yeah, you know, people have to kind of deal with these things and they have sometimes long lasting outcomes where this is like several years later that they're finally addressing this awful fight that they had and maybe starting to patch over those those hurt feelings by actually addressing it. But if you don't address it, then it's just going to be hurt forever. And you can't just feel shitty about yourself forever either. Sometimes you got to accept that you did a shitty thing and accept responsibility for it and then still be okay with yourself. I really love when Rebecca Sugar does this thing where the situation with the gem is a metaphor for the situation happening in relationships. And it there's this part in the episode where Sadie says, you know, the gem, it was lashing out because it felt hurt and trapped for so long. And it kind of reminded me of that episode with the moss, where Stephen was like, um, you know, the moss was just trying to bloom. And, uh, you know, how it, it was sort of a metaphor for how Rose um, saw things that saw the good in things that others did not see. And here, the gem was practically lashing out because of its past trauma, much in the same way that Lars and uh, Ronaldo were acting out. Um, mm -hmm. And I just love it when she just weaves those narratives in a way where um, we can see both narratives happening at the same time. And then she uses those phrases, like that one, where it's just pointing it out for you. That's like, here, this is exactly what you need to see. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Sadie's there just to be all like, oh, hey, Lars and Ronaldo, I don't know if you noticed this big mirror, but if <laughs> you could maybe reflect into it for a hot second, it might help you out. Perhaps. Or maybe not, a hot minute. Not say anything. <laughs> a hot minute. Hot hour. <laughs> Educational moment. Let's yep. just lock you in this room for maybe like, we'll, we'll be back. We're going to go grab a... Uh... We're going to go get some donuts yeah. and then we'll come back. We'll be back. <laughs>
So, anything else about Horror Club? No, I think we've covered just about everything. So it's not necessarily thematically important, but um, I did get kind of wigged out by uh, the fact that the lighthouse was a gem, and <laughs> so <laughs> that Stephen just a gem the whole time a whole gem like the lighthouse is up on the hill above the temple. That's what I was going to say, like, this whole like, time. D- did did the crystal gems know there was a gem up there, or has it been hiding this whole time? Well, I don't think... I don't think the gem was the lighthouse. Because they removed the gem from the lighthouse, and they bubbled it, but the lighthouse was still there. Like, with the other gems, we know that they are a projection of the gem, like, in light form, and that's where we get, you know, when Pearl is poofed, we just get the gem until she's able to reconstruct herself. Yeah, the lighthouse still exists. But, I mean, fun fun note, a lot of old lighthouses used uh, big old crystalline shapes for their, their light lens. Yeah. Um, before they were electric and they were using lanterns and stuff, um, they would use a big old either glass or a big old crystal as their their light reflect re- refractor but um yeah no I, I still like um did steven like tell garnet about the gem he bubbled or is that just in the temple now and nobody knows about it because i'm a little wigged out by the implications of that <laughs> i think nobody knows about it <laughs> oh god it's all right it's bubbled it's fine it's fine it's fine it's fine it's fine, it's fine. It's fine. we're fine it's fine it's fine we're fine it's fine this the is temple fine. is fine. The the crystal gems are fine. <laughs> the crystal gems. The lighthouse is fine. Lars is fine. Everything's fine. Physically, not emotionally. Ronaldo is fine. No, he's not. <laughs> yeah. Wow, it's just a lot of hate on Ronaldo. No, always it's good. No, he's not a good boy. They're both Kat, good. You're one to talk. They're both good boys. They're both flawed human beings. Right. Yes, right. I I have to give you that. Lauren. And, and the most important part, despite all of them making questionable, dumb choices, uh, Stephen still sees them as valuable, valid people who are deserving of love and friendship. Uh, and I think that's what we should take away from it. You know, yeah. I think I think they're perfectly valuable people and are deserving of love and friendship, just not from me. Well, actually, only to Ronaldo. <laughs> Just not from me. I'm sorry. No friendship here. Sorry, sorry, Ronaldo. Well, okay, that's fine. I'll go hang out with Ronaldo and watch all the scary VHSs. Exactly. Yep. I'll be there too. Oh yeah. I'll be there with Lars to help him talk about his feelings. <laughs> I'll be there with Steven, just sitting behind the couch, playing pat a cake. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think this is gonna just about do it. Unless you guys have any last minute things to say. Um, we need to make this podcast longer. We need to appreciate every second we have with Lauren. Lauren, well, okay, where can they that's find what... you <laughs> on social media? <laughs> I am at Chicken Dinosaur on Twitter, and uh, I'm on the Discord as well. Those are the the two places I spend most of my time. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, check out the other podcasts on the Geek Therapy Network. There's a lot of good ones. Yeah, that that Headshots podcast is a pretty neato burrito, if I do say so myself. 
I am not biased at all when I say it is extremely chef's kiss. (laughs) 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 Yeah. You know, I did hear that there's actually this this brand new podcast that's coming out. Um, Or I'm sorry, it's already out. Is it already? It's it's called it's called the Codex. Oh, you know, I listened to the first episode of that, and it's really exciting. I'm so stoked for the second episode to drop. I know. Honestly, I'm counting down the days. Yeah. When Um, is that second one coming out? Uh, you know, I I mean, I don't know who the who I don't remember exactly who are the co-hosts of that show, but I know that they're they're working very hard on it, and it'll be out. Something we in appreciate August. their efforts. I managed the to get episode will be will be released on date redacted. <laughs> <laughs> I did get some insider information and I was told, and now this is gonna be leaked information, that it's sometime in <gasps> August. Leaks. Ooh. Hooray. So I'm looking forward to it. You're no conflict of interest it. here. We're all looking forward to it. And if you're not looking forward to it, well, congratulations. Now you're looking forward to it. Now you are looking forward to <laughs> it. <laughs> well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on as a guest, Chaotic Host. This was fantastic. Um, truly, like, legit, this, this was a joy to record. But also thank you for... <laughs> Letting me gush about Steven Universe for almost two whole hours. Oh, just wait. This will just wait. feed my soul for at least four days. <laughs> <laughs> just wait until just wait until we get to potential smoochy episodes. <gasps> Smoochies. Those are gonna be the greatest of episodes. Well, you hear that, folks. You gotta tune in because you never know when a smoochie might happen. And I could repair. I hope you know when smoochies might happen. I don't don't know what you guys. I don't know what you guys are talking about. There are no smoochies. There are tons of smoochies. Mm. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) There are smoochies everywhere. So where can the listeners find us? You can find all of us on Twitter and probably Facebook, but I know for sure on Twitter. Everything will be on the show notes. You can find us on the Discord, which again will be in the show notes, and on the GT forum, which where everybody will read your posts and answer them. Actually, it's really just John that's on the forums. Oh, I will read your posts and, and he'll answer. send you a dissertation. Yes, I finally found my logins for the forums, so Woo! I may kind of like pop in every once in a while. But mainly me. But mainly him. Um, But yes, you can definitely find us all on Discord. And we are all very um, active on Discord. We talk all the time. Um, So yeah, you can come chat with us all the time on Discord. And you can talk to everybody from every one of the Geek Therapy Network. um, Plethora of (laughs) podcasts. uh, And... Please rate, review, and find all the other wonderful podcasts that are on the Geek Therapy Network. So, bye. 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 Bye.